Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about the energy industry from Alpha Energy Group. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer at Alpha, and I'm joined for this retrospective on on the year to date and a look ahead to 2021 by my colleague, uh, John Hall, Alpha's Chairman, and also Jason Durden, Head of uh, Energy Markets and Risk Management at Alpha. So, starting with you, John, the word eventful seems insufficient to describe 2020. We've been through tremendous ups and downs, and as someone who's been involved in the energy markets for many years, including at OPEC meetings, what's your perspective on what we've been through? At the beginning of this year, I think everyone felt very, very positive about the way things are moving, new year, everything was looking good. And then along came COVID. At first, it wasn't recognised as being anything to worry about. Then it started to gather momentum. And I think from what we've learned so far is that the impact of COVID has been seven times deeper than the impact of the financial crisis in 2008. It's the largest single element to hit the industry since the end of the Second World War. And therefore, it will take time for us to recover. And I think as we look ahead now, we hope the vaccines will work. We hope there'll be enough of them. We hope enough people will actually take it to stop the infection spreading. And we also hope recovery will follow. But I think being realistic about this, we will not see a recovery coming up till the second half of 2021 at least. Indeed. And uh, as someone who's been following the oil market in particular, I mean, it must have been astonishing to see, I think, technically for a period of time, there were almost negative prices at some at some point in the oil market, certainly extraordinarily low uh, levels on the spot market for a period of time earlier in the year. For a market that not so many years before people were, were apparently worrying about peak oil, uh, we need, seem to have had the other end of the problem, a massive oversupply. That must have been very difficult. Did the market manage to correct itself reasonably quickly? Well, it's trying very hard to do that. I mean, reality is prices went negative for a short period of time. Stocks were incredibly high. Producers were still pumping it out. And in fact, where we are now, demand for oil has dropped over this last year by eight to nine million barrels a day. Those are sort of estimates coming out of OPEC and the International Energy Agency. But what is also interesting to note is that as a recovery comes back, so too will demand for oil and also for gas. When we look ahead over the next 10 years, demand for oil will be hit slightly, but it will increase at the rate of just less than 1 million barrels a day, year on year till 2030. So it's by no means dead yet. I guess the good news, that's, if there is any good news that's come out of the last year, is that global emissions are down by 7%. But this, of course, is not down to anything that anyone's actually done consciously. It's down to the pandemic, which has had that impact. It's not down to government policy or anything like that. It's just the sheer impact of the economic collapse. And one does hope that as we get better, as the improvement comes along, recovery comes along, people will think more carefully and more closely about environmental issues. That's going to be an interesting thing to watch globally, but particularly in the United States, of course, uh, with a new president coming in in 2021. Jason, these effects we've talked about in the oil market, presumably they were replicating themselves in the power and gas markets in Europe and elsewhere as well. Is that right? Yeah, to a degree, Jeremy. We have a relative, specifically from a uh, winter perspective, there's a lot less elasticity in demand 
uh, around heating during uh, North Hemisphere winter. But uh, in terms of um, demand, there has clearly been a demand impact. It's not been of the magnitude uh, that John has talked about in oil, where we've seen a an eight percent fall. But we are seeing three and four, five percent falls in gas demand. Power demand was hit certainly in Northwest Europe by about ten percent during the summer. Of course, as we move into the dark period of uh, a cold period of the winter, we're seeing that moderated somewhat. So, yeah, the same issues are there. However, the dynamics in the market are very slightly different um, because uh, oil's exposure to the mass transportation and transit of people is not necessarily uh, replicated in electricity and gas. Uh, indeed, but uh, presumably at least at the start of the um, the lockdowns, there must have been quite an impact on industrial consumption of uh, uh, of gas and power and possibly in some business premises too. Has that sort of bounced back to roughly what it was before in Europe or, or is there still some bounce yeah. back yet to come? Yeah, I mean, well, the, the thing that's perhaps not necessarily being talked about, and uh, John has alluded to it, is that uh, the outcome of where we are now is a potentially uh, a very deep but potentially very long recession you know this is deeper and potentially longer in terms of writing itself than um, than perhaps anyone is really giving any credence to at the moment some of the actions from central banks are you know paradigm changing they are they've, they've just shifted the whole way we understand economics the central bank's balance sheets Things that were started after the 2008 uh, recession have just are peaking now at, at levels that are just unimaginable just a short few years ago. So, of course, our homes still need heating and uh, it still gets uh, dark far too early in the northern hemisphere during the winter. So we will still need uh, power and, and gas. But it would be foolish, I think, to expect that uh, we will see a return to 2019 demand levels anytime soon. Although I would say that, you know, we're probably looking at three, four, five percent demand destruction magnitudes. Very much more a displacement of use, a different way of using rather than actually um, total demand destruction. But very significant nonetheless. Uh, that's a useful insight. And John, um, you've been following, you know, some of the uh, work that's been done by the International Energy Agency and uh, their analysis. Where's the smart money going in the moment? Is is the investment holding up in re- renewables and alternative energy, or is it a difficult time to make money out of energy at the moment? Well, I mean, solar's getting cheaper. Offshore wind is getting cheaper. People don't like onshore wind. It's not as efficient as offshore. You know, it it is all getting much, much cheaper and uh, it's killing off the coal industry. But I I guess sort of one, one of the real problems is sort of, you know, looking ahead is renewables and energy efficiency will not be enough to cover us for what we want to do by 2040, 2050. We have to continue to use oil, gas, not so much coal. Um, CCS, climate capture and storage is of paramount importance, use of hydrogen, um, nuclear as well. These are all things we have to sort of bring, uh, really embrace and bring in, bring into greater use now. CCS has been sort of pushed around a bit in recent years. A lot of research is going on into, the, into hydrogen that needs to be brought forward. Um, in, in terms of, you know, where governments are going, trying to sort of ban sales of, you know, 
petrol and diesel driven vehicles. The big problem here is that transportation is diesel driven and we have to find some kind of a way to make that happen. And at the moment, we don't necessarily have the technology. So there may be a will there to make things happen, but technically we're not actually there at the moment. And again, we mustn't forget there's a developed world switches towards renewables. The developing world is moving up and taking whatever it can get, which will be oil, gas and coal, probably in that order. They're not really going to have the money or the technology to invest into renewables and also cutting emissions. So as one goes out, the other comes in. Well, that's an important observation for international climate policy. It's great to see emissions going down in Europe and possibly in North America in due course. Uh, but unless that happens globally, it's not going to solve the problem. And Jason, you've been following some of the developments in Europe uh, with the Green Deal proposed uh, for the EU and similar measures actually uh, for the UK uh, announced by the government towards the end of the year. What's your feeling about this? Are governments really locked into this from a European perspective and will the market deliver what they want? There is obviously a growing traction away from uh, burning hydrocarbons and uh, what one can see that really only moves forward from here at an increased pace. I do think that there's lots of headline talk posturing and positioning, uh, but the devil is always in the detail. And I think as John has alluded to, banning uh, the in internal combustion engine as a means of transportation for private motor cars is is a far cry from removing it from shipping from air transportation and from the transportation of goods so there's clearly a lot of work to be done there and i think um perhaps as most markets are always very forward thinking um there is definitely a uh, a road map but I think, um, as John alludes to, I think the uh, the burning of hydrocarbons is, is certainly here to stay for a foreseeable future. Just going back to the power situation, you know, we are in a cold December in Northwest Europe, currently experiencing, um, you know, a dearth and a lack of uh, dispatchable power um, because the wind is not blowing and it's cold. And uh, we're seeing the effects of... Uh, Spot prices have, uh, you know, have doubled in the last week. Uh, and that is something that has to be taken into account, I think. Indeed, from the consumer's point of view, uh, there's a world of difference between a firm source of power and an intermittent one. And uh, something has to plug the gap when the wind isn't blowing, as you say. Now, John, in you know, thinking of the American market, I mean, there's, there's a lot of wind in parts of the United States, in Texas and so on. And interestingly, even though fossil fuels remain a huge part of power generation there, substituting cheap gas for coal has reduced emissions, even whilst President Trump was, was uh, uh, in office and presumably things are going to change a little bit after the election. Uh, do you think there could be big changes there for American power generation and for an example for the rest of the world to follow? I mean, an example of the rest of the world, I mean, really, I think with 150 countries that have actually signed up to the uh, uh, Paris Agreement, America is, is actually out of it at the moment. So it, it's really a question now of America following the rest of the world. And all of the restrictions or guidelines that have been made uh, in America uh, governing the use of uh, energy 
have been relaxed under President Trump. And of course, John Kerry will actually bring these back again now and exercise greater controls over what they can do. Trump has tried hard to push coal. Coal is dying in America because it's because nobody actually wants it. You can't move it around easily. You can pump gas around through pipelines easily. You can move oil through pipelines. So in reality, America, uh, a lot of the states have their own policies anyway, trying to move towards a greener environment because it would suit them to do so. Um, there's a lot of sunshine there in places like California and they could use, make much better use of um, solar technology. Certainly offshore wind, again, is something else they can make better use of. And they will come back into the climate uh, agreement uh, in Paris. But there's an awful lot to do there. I mean, I was just looking at um, power generation in Florida fairly recently as a matter of interest. And uh, most of the generation there is coal-fired. So even in a state where they've got lots of sunshine, they're still depending on coal. Well, still a lot there to do. And you mentioned John Kerry. Of course, he's advising President-elect uh, uh, Biden um, will presumably have a, a role in the administration in 2021 uh, on climate change issues. And that's a big issue for the UK as well as the rest of Europe. The UK hosting the COP26 climate talks at the end of 2021. Jason, do you think that the UK government has got ahead of itself a little bit in some of its uh, uh, announcements, not just on phasing out vehicles, but potentially 40 gigawatts of offshore wind? I mean, that's, that's more gen generation than can be consumed in UK demand on certain occasions. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it seems a bit of an ask in 10 years. What, uh, your, your chuckle perhaps betrays your thoughts, uh, but I'd, li I'd like to hear more. Yeah, all of which is um, plausible and um, perhaps obtainable, uh, Jeremy. But uh, I think there's a lot of politics at play. I think there's a lot of um, desire for a post-Brexit UK to be seen to be uh, leading, you know, getting out there first while it can. Um, certainly, you know, an island uh, in the uh, North Atlantic certainly has, uh, you know, lots of offshore wind potential. But sorry to sort of uh, uh, keep harking back to this, without viable grid size solutions for dispatchable power, um, we cannot rely on using intermittent supply as a base load fuel. You know, British industry can't only operate when the sun shines and the wind blows, you know, and until there can be the detail to accompany the, uh, the high level politicking, then I remain unconvinced, if not, you know, fully accept that this is the travel of direction. But I think there's a, there's a lot of politics at play. Uh, certainly the world stage for COP26, you, you can see where where the British government is trying to position itself and not uh, not unfairly so. But I think, as I, as I said uh, a little uh, earlier in the discussion, you know, we do need to see the detail in terms of real impact and in terms of positioning and, and, and signalling direction. I think at the moment it's um, setting out the stall for the next sort of 10, 20 years rather than actually giving concrete reasons why. I mean, certainly, you know, the struggle we've had with Hinkley Point C and, and still nowhere near completion. We need probably another couple of power stations of that size and magnitude, at least in dispatchable power terms, to really even consider that 40 gigs of wind would be uh, would be the panacea that uh, our current Prime Minister is trying to position it to be. 
Well, that's another one to watch. We'll see, I guess, in 2021, or maybe we won't. Maybe it'll be longer than that, whether the new power station proposed for Sizewell, the new nuclear power station there, will go ahead as well. But thinking ahead, John, uh, you know, what would you be advising business energy users to look out for in, in the year ahead? Well, I think just going back on what Jason was saying just now, I mean, Boris Johnson has announced the spending of £12 billion on his green industrial revolution. And he'll be pushing nuclear, hydrogen, electric cars, offshore wind, the usual sort of stuff. Um, but I just wonder how coordinated this is, because there are an awful lot of people who've been making suggestions as to what we should do. And I don't really think anyone's actually brought the whole thing together to say, look, we have a coordinated approach to what we need to do and let's set something down. Now, we, we've just heard that the uh, Energy White Paper will be published by Christmas, and that's Christmas of this year. And it'll be interesting to see what's in that. Is there something coordinated? Is it based on something Boris has said? But really, from industry's point of view, they need to know what the sense of direction is coming from government before they start doing all sorts of things which they think of that what they're supposed to be doing or what the latest directive has told them to do. They need to have a clear understanding from government as to what the programme is, what they can do, what kind of support will be available to them and what the deadlines will be set. Well, that's a really interesting perspective on, on which to conclude the discussion. So thank you both. It sounds like there are as many questions left unanswered at the end of 2020 uh, as there were at the beginning, possibly rather more. Um, so look forward to catching up with you in, in the new year. Uh, thank you ever so much for listening. Um, I hope uh, 2021 brings good things for energy consumers. And either way, Alpha Podcasts will be here to help steer you through. <laughs>